It's good to be with you today, and even though Pastor Wayne is out of town, uh, we are continuing in our series, What Does the Bible Say About? Uh, This is week two, and as Wayne said last week when previewing this series, uh, we will be covering topics like predestination, homosexuality, community, politics, eternal destiny, uh, and a few more. Uh, We've taken the top ten submitted from our church and our sister church, Spring Valley, um, and uh, even though last week was, as Wayne said, the number one topic, the rest of them are in no particular order. So uh, today's topic is not necessarily number two, um, but it's still a good one. Uh, I also just want to say that I've really appreciated, um, I appreciate this series because it's not just a question, it's a question that I don't think the church asks often enough. What does the Bible say about? Um, and it's so good to go to God's Word and spend time finding and reading about who God is and the principles and truths that he wants us to live by, Um, especially today when topics are so polarizing and uh, we may feel a pressure to have to land on a certain side, uh, but we may just need to pause first and go to the Bible and see what does God say about this topic. Um, So I'm really really enjoying this series and where it's going, and I hope you guys are too, Um, and maybe we can make a practice of this. What does the Bible say about even after this series is over? Um, Our topic this morning is about sharing the gospel. We're asking the question, what does the Bible say about witnessing to good people? Uh, When the pastoral teams uh, from the other church and our church got together and saw this in the top ten topics, we were really intrigued because of the clarification that had been submitted, which was to good people. Not just how to share, but how to share to good people. Um, And we took this to mean... uh, so if you submitted this and we're not taking it in the direction that you thought it was, I'm, it's too late. We went, I'm preaching on what I'm preaching on. Uh, we took it to mean people who by the world standards are, uh, in the eyes of everyone, relatively good. Their, their morals may be solid. Maybe they're uh, charitable. They show a lot of kindness and compassion to people in their lives. Uh, maybe they've raised good children and have a good family. There's nothing... Uh, in the world's eyes, or maybe even in Christians' eyes, that stands out as something that's desperately in need of addressing or correcting on the outside. So that's kind of our good people, good people in in today's world. And the question is, how do we reach them? Uh, How do we reach the people that may have a harder time seeing their need for God? How do we reach the people who are living a life that the world sees as exemplary or maybe even model citizens? Uh, How do we reach people who are not lacking in any physical sense. In a lot of ways, this made uh, both of our churches think about our communities around us, Uh, obviously affluent neighborhoods, and how do we reach these people with the gospel? We're not going to address any physical needs necessarily, but um, how, how can we bring to their attention their depravity and their need for Jesus in their lives? Really good, tough questions about sharing the gospel. Um... Sharing the gospel can be intimidating, uh, maybe just for me, but having grown up in the church, I'll be honest that when the words uh, witnessing or evangelizing were said, I would get nervous and I would have anxiety um, because the picture that was painted for me was a very specific way of evangelizing and one that I wasn't comfortable with. It meant uh, learning some sort of argument or dialogue or conversation and going out into public and walking up to strangers and having that conversation and engaging in that dialogue that you just learned. Um, and that's, that's tough. Uh, I don't like talking to strangers in general about anything. And then now I have to go bring up the most awkward conversation probably ever, which is religion or faith or God. 
uh, it just, I did not like it. Um, plus, I had this feeling of like I was interrupting their outing when they're out in public. When I'm on an outing, I have like a mission. I'm going to get groceries or whatever it is. And if I can get home without talking to anyone, that's preferable. And so I just <laughs> felt like I was, I was interrupting their time. Maybe they were the same way. Just felt awkward sharing the gospel in that setting. Uh, when I got older, I felt bad about my lack of desire to evangelize like that uh, because of my role in the church. I felt like I had to lead by example. Um, and so just a quick story. I had done a really good job of avoiding all those situations uh, until I met my future wife. Uh, she was up at Tahoe for a summer uh, working with Campus Crusade for Christ. Maybe you guys know uh, that organization. And they have a whole summer program where people go up there and so I was, we were dating at the time, and I drove up to Tahoe to spend the day with her, and I was thinking, awesome, this is, this is a date day. We're not doing anything super serious. We're just hanging out. Uh, and I get up there, and I learn Becky shares that uh, the whole group, all of that group in Tahoe had gone out to evangelize that day. They had broken up in pairs or groups of three, and they'd gone to like shopping centers and restaurants and beaches, and they were just going to spend the whole afternoon evangelizing. And she was still at camp, and so I get there, and she shares this. I was like, oh, that's good for them. Awesome. Let's go to the beach. And uh, she, she has this way of, like, sharing an option that's not really an option. So she was like, why don't, I don't know, we could go share the gospel. I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to, but I think it'd be really fun. I was like, yeah, oh, totally. That'd be great. Um, Plus, we were dating, and I was thinking, like, I work at a church. What is she going to think of the guy that works at a church that doesn't want to go evangelize? So we did. And uh, it was really good. They had given us some conversation cards that uh, you could just kind of shuffle around and walk up to a person, and it would tell you how to engage in that conversation. And so we, that afternoon, we, we spoke to four or five different couples or people, and they all went really well. Uh, we met a couple Christians. We prayed with a couple people. Um, even if people were not interested in going too far, they were at least able to share kind of what they believe. And so it was just a good uh, experience. Uh, Becky led the way um, in that. She was great. Uh, but it didn't necessarily change. I mean, I, I had anxiety all afternoon. I just did not like walking up to strangers and doing this. So I say all that uh, because uh, just sharing my personal experience with evangelism. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that type is bad. Some of you... Uh, in this room, I actually know are really good at doing that. Uh, at, in small talk or with strangers, you can just naturally steer the conversation towards God, and I fully respect that and admire that, and I think that's amazing. That's a gift. Um, and some of you do take the bold approach and just walk up and say, I'm going to talk about Jesus now, and more power to you. I don't know if I'll ever feel comfortable doing that. And I think... Uh, it's okay because I know that Jesus and, and the Bible says that that's not the only way to evangelize. There are other ways to bring up God and to share the gospel. And so uh, today, that's what we're going to talk about. I think um, Jesus shares other way, another way to share the gospel. This question that you've submitted uh, is a really good one, and I think it's necessary uh, for our culture here in Roseville and Granite Bay especially. I've been having a lot of conversations with some fellow students and even some of you about the predicament of Christian culture, like in our specific area, Granite Bay, Roseville, Citrus Heights, Rockland. Um, we have several mega churches around here. We have a lot of smaller churches. We're just in a very church-saturated area. And that means that there's a lot of um, Christian culture happening. If you go to like any coffee shop, you'll probably see a 
friend, Christian friends hanging out or a pastor or two preparing a sermon or hanging out with someone, c- catching up with someone in their congregation. Um, there's just a lot of Christian culture happening, which is a good thing. Uh, but it also makes me wonder that there may, are there a lot of people who just want to fit into that life, that want to fit into the Christian life. Uh, there may be a lot of good people around us, but do they have a relationship with Christ? Have they given their all to him? Have they actually surrendered to Jesus? Those people still need to know the saving work that Jesus Christ has done for them personally and how living their life should, uh, their life should be changed on a deeper level than just living like a Christian. So I'm going to come back to all of that. And I, we're here to answer the question of what does the Bible say about witnessing to good people. And we're going to look at the example that Jesus gives us in his encounter with a character called the rich young ruler. So if you guys would turn in your Bibles to Mark 10, uh, or follow along on the screen as I read. As he was sitting, uh, setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, Jesus, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Would you guys pray with me? God, we come before you today, and we are thankful um, to be here. And God, we want to praise you and acknowledge that you are sovereign, um, that you are in total control, and how thankful we are for that, God. I I pray uh, today as we seek to uh, know more about who you are and how you would have us reach good people. God, our, our desire is to to know how to better live the Christian life, to um, execute witnessing to other people. And we just want to know how. We, we have an eagerness and open hearts, Lord, to hear from your word how we might reach people with your truth. And I pray that uh, from your word, God, and from your spirit, we would be inspired not just to hear but to do. And from moving forward today and on that we would... Um, be willing and ready to share your gospel in whatever way and how, whatever opportunity that you bring up. 
So we just pray for this morning, God, that you would be glorified. Give me the words to say, and uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so in my typical fashion, I want to walk through the passage and make some comments about this interaction uh, between Jesus and the rich young ruler, and then I have four points of application for us today. Um, And just a heads up that um, I will be focusing on the interaction at the beginning of this passage. I'll cover what I've just read, um, but then I'll come back and focus, because I think that's where this first half of Jesus' words um, with the rich young ruler are where we see the answer to this question. Um, There's a lot of good things at the end. Uh, There's many sermons that can come from this passage, but this is what I have. Um, (laughs) So, just being honest. Uh, Let's go uh, verse by verse to understand the situation. I wanted to start by describing some of what Jesus' ministry looked like. Uh, Jesus was a man who uh, was teaching the law that was familiar to the Jews, but in a new way. He was taking pieces that they already knew about from the Old Testament, but connecting them in a new way uh, and in a better way. These Israelites, uh, these Jews, had had built certain expectations from the Old Testament about who Jesus would be and what his kingdom would look like. And Mark's point, the author here, is that Jesus was trying to redefine those expectations, shed light on the reality of God's kingdom, And so Jesus is taking all these pieces that were familiar, but building something better and different. In previous chapters in Mark, uh, Jesus has shared parables explaining his kingdom. He's done miracles, uh, wondrous things, and incredible healings. Uh, He's walked on water. He's fed thousands. Uh, He's addressed many hard-pressing issues of the time in which he displayed his divine knowledge, or wisdom, and authority. But people are still confused about what God's kingdom looks like. People do not necessarily grasp the idea of God's kingdom. And we even see this from the disciples, the the twelve, the chosen uh, apostles, that Jesus sits them down earlier in chapter 8 and asks, who do you say I am? And from their answers, there's a mixed conclusion of, we think you may be this, and the kind of leader that Jesus is and would be. And so periodically, Jesus is trying to clarify himself and God's kingdom throughout the book of Mark. And so I just want to keep that in our minds as we go forward. In our passage today, uh, Jesus has just been out doing his ministry. He's just doing his thing. And, uh, you know, word about him has gotten out. And people are going out of their way to visit him. And so that's where this rich young ruler comes in. He's going out of his way to come and see Jesus. But he is different than a lot of the other people that have come and seen Jesus. He's not hurt or in need of anything, Um, I mean healing, uh, but he wants to have the conversation. This rich young ruler is someone who epitomizes the understanding of the law and life and a life of obedience towards the law. Uh, He's, in many people's eyes, he's the best life attainable. So we have Jesus who is trying to teach and educate the people in the kingdom of God uh, and what that kingdom of God should look like, and he's confronted with this man who thinks he understands it thinks he embodies it, and lives it out perfectly. So let's break down this conversation between the two. I want to start in verse 17. Uh, This rich young ruler comes before Jesus saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And let's just uh, pause there. Uh, He addresses Jesus as good teacher. Now we may see this as a... um, 
you know, a nod of respect, a polite greeting, or even acknowledging who Jesus is. And while it may be all of that, I think there are some ulterior motives in this man's heart. And in our pastor meeting about this sermon, uh, Pastor Bill from the other church brought up this point that this man, the rich young ruler, saw Jesus as another good man like himself and wanted to align with Jesus. This rich young ruler was priding himself on being good, and by aligning with Jesus, a man who many people at that time saw as very good, a prophet, maybe the Messiah, that it would affirm him. Uh, and to everyone else, it would affirm that I am also good. So this man is trying to get Jesus to affirm his goodness, and I think that's his motive. I think uh, when he is approaching Jesus, he wants this conversation to go in a certain way. I think he wants the conversation to go all the way up to verse 20. And like that's his ideal conversation. Uh, and he's hoping that Jesus is going to, in his question of how do I have eternal life, I think maybe he's hoping that Jesus would bring up the law, and that way he could share about how he's kept the law since his youth. He wanted to brag. He wanted to share how good he was. Um, and that way he could receive that affirmation that he indeed was good and had eternal life. But he doesn't anticipate the rest of the conversation that Jesus brings. So, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, immediately uh, Jesus addresses this man's motives and his heart. He asks, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Right away, Jesus' words are, are humbling this man. No one is good except God. And I think in parentheses, it's like, not even you, sir. No one is good except God. Again, I think this is more uh, correctional teaching by Jesus on what the law is actually about and what God's kingdom actually looks like. Uh, and he continues, verse 19, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Uh, now, maybe this is exactly what he wanted to hear um, from the beginning. And who knows who is actually, how he's actually feeling at this moment. Um, he was just told that no one is good, but maybe he's still thinking in the back of my mind, yeah, but Jesus doesn't know how good I am. Um, and so maybe he's still looking forward to sharing about his goodness. And so verse 20, he says, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Now that's an amazing statement. I don't think we should take that for granted. That this man, it's a very difficult list to maintain, the law. Uh, a lot of things to abide by. And he has done all of it since he was young. He's got, he, in this, this statement is true. This man has shown a lot of devotion to maintaining the law in his life. Um, and so he gets to share, teacher, I, I've done all those things. I don't know. When I was reading this, I just wasn't like, maybe it's relief or maybe it's kind of a smug yes that he gets to say this kind of thing to Jesus. Um, like, I knew it all along. I aced the test. I'm good. Uh, or maybe he's thinking, maybe now Jesus will say that I'm good. And then verse 21, it's at this moment that Mark says that Jesus had love for this man. And this made me ask, well, what, what is it about this man that Jesus is loving? Maybe it's his uh, spontaneity or eagerness this man may be showing in approaching Jesus. Maybe it's a passion or devotedness this man lives out in being someone after God's own heart and keeping the law. Maybe it's the fact that this man would make a really great disciple because of his devout heart and the great example that he would be in obeying the law uh, to a T. But even though 
Jesus loves him. The point is that he would not lower the demands of discipleship to make an easy convert. The demand is the same. Whoever wants to follow Jesus must deny self and take up the cross. And that standard is still true for us today. For anyone who thinks that they are good in this world, Jesus loves you and loves those good people, but the way to eternal life is still through him and not on individual merit or achievement. So I don't know why Jesus, what, this, what Jesus is loving about this man besides a love that I'm sure Jesus wants him to be a part of the kingdom. But Jesus saw in this moment what the real problem was. And so he says, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. There's just one thing missing in this man's life. And the missing element is to rid himself of his earthly treasures and personal achievements, his self-righteousness, and to follow Jesus. To put his trust in Christ and not himself. In this verse, Jesus is addressing this man's misgivings about who Jesus is, about his own possessions and his own self-righteousness. And I want to clarify something, that in this verse, Jesus isn't saying that the sin is the riches. It's not saying that to have wealth is wrong. But if riches have become the idol in one's life, then it is a problem. If riches or accomplishments are on the throne of your heart, then it is wrong. If one is not able to part with them and see riches as a gift from God, see themselves as stewards of what is ultimately his, where he can give and take away at will, then there is a problem. And this is what Jesus is getting to when he tells the man to sell all he has and give to the poor. The riches and the self-righteousness of this man were on the throne of his heart. What I mean by the throne of the heart, I mean, what is driving a person? What are they pursuing? What are they worshiping and idolizing? What is at the center of their heart in all that they do? And for this man, this rich young ruler, it was a self-righteousness and all that he had gained through his own life. So Jesus said to get rid of it all. And I also want to make note of this last part of this verse where Jesus now elevates himself to God. And he says, and follow me. He's addressing that uh, maybe this man thought that Jesus was just another good man. And he's saying, I'm not just another good man. I'm the son of God. I'm the perfect Messiah. And I'm the person that has the key to eternal life. He leaves this man with a crisis moment. He leaves the rich young ruler with a decision that the ruler will have to make moving forward in his life. Choosing his treasures and his own accomplishments or choosing Christ. Which one does he want on the throne of his heart? And to put in the most simple terms, will he trust Jesus or will he trust himself and what he is capable of? Verse uh, 22, uh, this man goes away saddened because there's no other way for him to be close to Jesus and to have eternal life and... um, and then to get rid of the idols of his heart. And I thought this was an interesting point that the theologian Schweizer, maybe some of you know that man, comments that this is the only man to come to Jesus joyful and to leave sorrowful. And I find that uh, interesting and, and comforting, maybe. It's interesting that uh, this man 
uh, shows just how tightly someone can hold on to what they've gained and achieved in life and what's uh, at the center of their life. And then it's, it's kind of comforting because it's comforting to know that Jesus, when sharing the truth, did not just get emphatic yeses or extreme noes um, and rejections, but there were people who just wrestled with the truth and went away wrestling and unsure and having to really think about the truth that Jesus said. It provides an example of that other outcome, not the best outcome when sharing the gospel, um, an outcome that maybe we are more familiar with today or that we experience, and that is that it doesn't always happen right in front of us. Who knows? I don't know what happened to this rich young ruler and if he ever came to follow Christ. Um, but I think that this shows us that it's okay that when we're having those conversations with people, we may not be there for that conversion moment where they just say, yes, I do want it. That does happen, of course. Um, but even Jesus had people that went away and had to wrestle with it. Okay. Oh, I wanted to ask you this. In regards to this crisis moment, have you ever had this moment with Jesus, confronted with the truth about what is on the throne of your heart? I would assume that many of you have, and maybe even more times over of just things that become idols in our lives, even after we've committed our life to Christ. Do you remember that the feeling of, of maybe guilt or the difficulty in letting go of whatever it was that was in the place of God? Hopefully you do. And I think uh, that feeling should help us empathize with good people uh, who hear the gospel and are realizing that they may have other things on the throne of their heart. The feeling that we have is a feeling that they may be having also. And that empathy that we feel can help us love those people, just like Jesus loved this man. So, just I think it would be good to remember the crisis moments in your life. Uh, back to our passage, Jesus explains this interaction to his disciples because the man has left now. And so in verses 23 through 25, uh, Jesus is saying, it's just so hard to get into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, we've just come across a man who obeyed the law to a T, and he's having trouble getting into the kingdom of heaven and grasping what that means. And so then he says this analogy of the camel through the eye of a needle. And there's a lot of, a lot of fun stuff about that analogy um, but the emphasis here is that man cannot do it on their own. Only with God is it possible. And it's crazy to think, looking back on church history and even present today, that somehow that truth gets lost in the gospel message, that only through God is it possible. Man cannot earn their way to salvation or eternal life on their own. Verses 26 through 27 show that the disciples were then under the impression that it would be impossible for anyone to get into heaven. If not this rich young ruler who has done everything right, then who, who can do it? And verse 28 gives us our typical Peter moment, where he's just looking for affirmation from Jesus. I love Peter. He's saying, you said to give everything away. We did that. Hello, Jesus. What about us, your disciples? We've done it. Um, but again, like I said at the beginning, Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God and how it doesn't work the way they may have thought it does. And in verses 29 through 31, he's addressing the hearts of people. While there is reward, there is amazing blessing in store for those who have left many things behind, even family, the blessing is not the motivation. 
It's for the gospel's sake. It's not for personal gain. It is for Christ. And this last sentence that Jesus says, verse 31, speaks to the backwardness of God's kingdom. And by backward, I just mean how counter it is to the world's standard of what a kingdom would look like. And God's kingdom is not defined by man's terms or based on man's values. Access to God's kingdom is granted um, not on what humanity can achieve, but on their heart, which is something that God alone can judge. Now, like I said, there are many sermons to be had on the second portion of this passage, especially verses 23 through 31, but I want to remain focused on answering our question, which is, what does the Bible say about witnessing to good people? So I have four things that came to mind, and they serve as mindsets or postures of the heart. Uh, These are four ways that Jesus exemplified how to witness to good people. And again, these are people who live a life that may be more difficult to approach with the gospel because there's nothing blatantly wrong on the outside like this good man who did everything right. So the first is live a life that follows God. Number one, live a life that follows God. From the context of Mark, we see that Jesus is just going about his ministry. Uh, He has not sought out this man, but rather continued his teaching, his healing, his miracles. And I think we can learn from that. Not that we do all those things, uh, but we are living the Christian life. And in your context, whatever that is, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, in your work, with your coworkers, with your friends, wherever, keep living the Christian life. And that is, keep doing your ministry. Ministry has become such a church buzzword that it doesn't just happen at church, and it's not just Bible studies that meet in the morning or youth groups. It's when you are reflecting God's character to people in the world. And so, be a follower of Jesus at all times. Do not compromise for anyone or for anything. Let your words and actions be a reflection of God's character. And I know that the title of this number one point may seem simple, and I don't mean it as an oversimplification of witnessing, uh, more just as a base to build off of. We really do need to value and see the worth in following God in our daily lives. And I think it's easier to recognize opportunities to share the gospel when we are being purposeful in living a life that follows God. So this means being intentional and serious about your, your daily faith. Live a life that follows God. Number two, be approachable. We see from Jesus that after the man speaks to him, Jesus engages with him. Uh, Jesus has got a lot to do. He's in his ministry. He's got, he's got a purpose. Uh, but he takes the time to answer this man's, um, this man's question. Part of being approachable means being willing to enter into their world and maybe put a pause on what's going on in yours. We all know that life gets busy and hectic, and in those moments, our priorities can quickly rise to the top. Uh, but we must be approachable and we must be willing to engage when God brings these opportunities about. Uh, Part of being approachable means uh, being a good listener. Take interest in their story, where they're coming from. When it comes to witnessing and evangelizing, uh, we may feel this pressure to say something perfect in response. And while our response does play a part, 
we should also be active in listening to what that, peop- what that person is sharing, uh, what's really going on in their lives. I'm not sure where I picked this up from, probably one of you in this church, but uh, I was told that in, in those conversations with people that you just know that God is going to be brought up or you sense that this is an opportunity to be actively pr- praying throughout that conversation. Uh, just simple prayers. God, help me to listen to what this person is really saying. God, help me to understand what they're really talking about. And then God, give me the words to say in response. Just those quick prayers that go through our heads. Um, and, and when we're praying, in those moments, we're admitting that it's not about us, but it's about that other person and their relationship with God. We want to be the tool, the vessel, and the, mouth, the mouthpiece for God's truth, but in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. So, be approachable when living a life that follows God. Number three, grow to love people where they are at. This is a very difficult one for me personally. Uh, (laughs) I would like to think that it comes from a good place in my heart, uh, that I want what's best for people, but so quickly that can turn into control. Um, I want to control the situation and lay out a plan and make sure that they follow it so that, hey, if you do this, You're bound to meet Christ at some point along this road. Just follow what I say. Uh, But that's not the way it works. Um, So Jesus, with this rich young ruler, loved this man. And even though he knew this man was going to struggle uh, with following him, uh, he still had love. And our love for these people should not be based on what kind of believer they may be or what kind of potential they may have. It should not be based on anything on them. Our love should come from God, the love that he gives us, and that we want to share that same love with other people. So this also means giving up any control we may want to exert on the situation. Loving them means letting them have their moment with Christ whenever that is. Loving them may mean letting them wrestle with the truth while continuing to fail and to sin. That, that's the hardest part. I think that's the hardest part for me is, what does that look like? It's not an easy answer uh, an easy question to answer. It's maybe situational, but in that moment when you know that person is in a, sin, in a pattern of sin or in uh, an active sinful life, maybe loving them means not controlling them, but just allowing God to work in whatever way he's going to. We cannot open their eyes to the truth, but we can love them along the way. We cannot do the convicting and saving work of the Spirit but we can love them and continue to reflect God's character to them. So love people where they're at. And number four, create a crisis moment. We see Jesus in verse 21 address the issue that the rich young ruler is dealing with uh, at its core. And now this is Jesus. He has divine wisdom and uh, divine insight, and he just knows exactly how to deal with these situations, and we do not. Maybe some of us are better at um, assessing where people are at and what they're really going through. Um, But hopefully these other points of being approachable and going to love people will help us be able to really know what's going on in someone's heart. And if possible, in our conversations with these good people, we can try to reach the heart of what they're wrestling with and create a moment of crisis where they may be able to see where God is what they need and whatever it is that they are trying or doing is not good enough. Can we get to what is sitting on the throne of their heart? What are they pursuing and idolizing and worshiping? 
I think of our community again and the Christian culture that we have growing here, um, especially with, in my experience, younger people, but maybe people of all ages, that they see the Christian life means going to church, being involved in various ministries, being charitable with your money and your time, and they think, I can partake in that, done. I can do the Christian life. But do they think that they also have eternal life by doing those things? Or is it their self-righteousness that's at the center of them? What is uh, driving them? Is it themselves or is it God's glory? Have they been confronted with the gospel? Have they recognized their need for Christ and not for more works, not for more Christian things to do, but for repentance and the acceptance of Christ as Savior? How can we be a part of creating a crisis moment in their lives? How can we pose a question or bring it about in conversation with love? I also think that these crisis moments don't just have to be you need Jesus or something so directly and blatantly just God. God is the answer. Uh, We see Jesus in this passage in Mark use what the rich young ruler brought to him, his issue, his riches, his goodness, and use that as the avenue to reach his heart. Maybe in our conversations with people, we can use whatever their situation is that they have shared about, whatever problems they are dealing with, whatever pride they may be boasting about, and then help them see Christ, see that whatever that is, it is not good enough and it comes up short. How can we help them come to a place of being confronted with Christ? Maybe that's through the way we live. Maybe that happens after building relationship with them for a time and they've allowed us to have a, a space where we can speak openly to them. Maybe that happens in conversation uh, pretty, pretty quickly and we're just able to lay the gospel before them. But however it happens, just have, a po- have this as a posture of our heart, these four things. Be living a life that follows God all the time, unashamedly. Be approachable. Learn to love people where they're at and think about a crisis moment for them. Above all this, I want to end with this. Remember that God is sovereign and that he's working in ways that we cannot see. And people are being saved for his glory and not for ours. Our purpose in witnessing to good people is his glory. And as we faithfully serve him, he will provide us with the words and the love to give them. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the example that Jesus was. Um, that as we have this question of how to witness to good people, we can look directly at his life and see that he did it with uh, love and grace and mercy and, um, and the patience and understanding and the compassion. And God, we want those things to be true of us. And so I pray that Um, you would help us to be able to see uh, where we need to improve, where we need to have more love, where we need to have more patience, where we need to have the confidence to engage and to bring up tough conversations, God. I pray that we would rely on you in those moments, that as we're witnessing, as we're sharing your truth, uh, we would be very much in tune with your spirit and you would be driving us God, we pray that even for ourselves, that we would have an examination of what's at the throne of our hearts and make sure that there's nothing else besides you, that our accomplishments, our riches, our families, other good things are not at the throne, are not at the center, 
but that is you driving, <coughs> driving us forward every day. God, we trust you, and we pray that we would come to know you more and in a deeper way uh, through this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.